morning and to, to worship, to be able to um, talk with you beforehand, to uh, share in, man, these, these great songs that have, that have served to, to focus our attention on, on the throne of God and the people that we desire to be and what we desire for Him to be in our life. And Kevin, I appreciate your comments as we remembered uh, our Savior and what that should mean for our life. And I don't know, I, there, there were times that we were singing, I just had to stop for a little bit and just, and just listen, and I got a lump in my throat a few times. There's just something about, about this morning for me that um, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much for, uh, for bringing me closer to the Lord this morning. Uh, as we do every once in a while, we like to recognize all stars and rock stars. They're a part of our East Brainerd family. Uh, now, some of these are not going to be here. Just going to let you know because we are traveling and, and everybody's in and out because of the um, summer season. But uh, I've already neglected on mentioning some things. So, I wanted to make sure that I get this out of the way so that uh, we don't uh, neglect being able to set, tell some of these people goodbye and some of these people congratulations. The first thing, uh, Luke Mercer was baptized into Christ at Impact over this last week. We got a picture, I think, coming up uh, with him. He's the one. He's not the one with the big finger, that shine, but he's the one the big finger is, is pointing at, and so that is, that is awesome. Um, also, a few weeks back, Austin Wolf was baptized. Austin and Rachel have been with us uh, for about a year now, and Austin was baptized into Christ on his birthday. He asked his father-in-law to do that at a special place that they have when they go down to the lake. He loves being uh, close to God there on the lake, and so uh, that took place. He wanted to make sure that uh, his son Nate was there to experience that, to be an example. I meant to mention that last week on Father's Day, and I apologized to Austin. I said, man, I'm so sorry. I forgot. And so I'm um, Austin Wolf was baptized. Don't know if Austin is here or not, but if you see Austin, make sure you um, say, there he is. Awesome. That is great. Um, we always have individuals. We talk about people who are coming in, new to our family. We have then individuals who leave. The way that we look at your time here at East Brainerd is that we are preparing you to send you out as missionaries. You might not end up in Peru like uh, Jeremy and Whitney, uh, but you might end up in Atlanta, Georgia, like Michael and Leslie Johnson are about to. Uh, they're going to be moving. I uh, don't know if you realize this, but Michael has already accepted a job down in Atlanta. He's actually down there during the week, comes back on the weekends. And so Michael and Leslie and uh, little Kenzie, they're going to be going down uh, to Atlanta uh, in the near future. And so we're going to miss them. Our softball ministry is going to take a hit, just going to be honest. Uh, but I want to say thanks to Michael. For so many years, he has been the catalyst behind our softball team here at church, and it's been a great vehicle to bring in uh, new individuals to our church family and to help integrate individuals into the family as they come in. And so, um, I don't know who's going to be taking over for that, but they've got big shoes uh, to fill. And speaking of big shoes, Zach Roddenberry is also going to be uh, leaving Jack, Zach and Jordan Roddenberry and Kennedy and baby Andy, uh, they are going to be heading to Searcy, Arkansas 
they both uh, went to Harding, and now they have a chance to, um, to move back in the area that they refer to as God's country. And Zach has got a teaching job there in Searcy, and they're going to be leaving in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be really quick uh, for them as they are going to be heading out. So if you see the Roddenberries, any of the Rodden babies. If you see um, the Johnsons, okay, make sure you um, wrap them up, tell, you, tell them how much you love them and um, how much they have meant to, to you and continue to pray for them as they are going to be leaving. Uh, they're instruments of grace. That's what they are. Uh, they're instruments of grace as God works through them, not only during their time here, but also in the places that they are going to be going. In fact, you're an instrument of God's grace. I don't know if you realize this or not, but each and every one of us, as we come to know the grace of God, we are then used by God to transmit that grace, to share that grace with those who are around us in the way in which we, we treat others, in the way in which we, we interact with those who are around us, the type of individuals that we are. We're the instruments of God here on this world, and we're to be instruments of His grace. But let's be honest, sometimes we are not all that graceful. Let me get personal for a minute. When did critiquing our meetings together become so in vogue? Have you ever wondered about that? Today, human evaluation of Sunday's assembly, it often takes place around the Sunday dinner table where questions are asked, well, how was the worship today? And maybe other questions go something like this, who was the song leader? Did he sing new songs or old songs? And what did the preacher preach about? What did the preacher wear? Was he too funny? Was he too serious? How long did he talk? Did he start on time? Did did we end on time? Who was there? Who wasn't there? How, how many were there? Did we give out the bulletins at the front door or at a different door? And what about the coffee? Was it too weak or was it too strong? Was the service traditional? Was it contemporary? Or was it blended? Or how did it make you feel? Let's be honest about something. Monday morning quarterbacks have nothing on Sunday afternoon worshipers. And all the focus on our meetings is really strange considering how little attention Scripture gives to the early Christian worship services. In fact, nowhere in Scripture do you find the phrase worship service. However, Scripture gives a great deal of attention to the worshiper's service. You see, the question that's asked in Scripture is not how was the worship service, but it's how is the service of the worshipers. Because service is not just a ministry of the church. Service is the worship of the church. And it's that worship that you and I are to be known for. It's that worship that is to impact our homes and our businesses. It's that worship that should permeate our schools and our neighborhoods. And it's that worship that should impact the very country that we live in. Don't believe me? I encourage you to open up your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Amos, chapter 5. Worship. The family that attended the service that day appeared to the critique that God gave to his people through the prophet Amos. 
as he looked out to the worshipers and he said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Do you notice in there the description of the Israelite worship? He talks about their festivals, referring to the three main times when they would come together as a people for worship, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. He spoke of their assemblies, those solemn assemblies that describe their regular gatherings, the burnt offerings that would refer to the animal sacrifices, the grain and cereal offerings that would be presented in the temple, the fellowship and peace offerings. These were animal sacrifices that would subsequently be enjoyed as a meal. He talks about their noise in reference to their singing and their music in reference to the harps that they use to praise. And the description of his worship or of their worship, he covers the entire spectrum. He references the time that they worship, the place, the sacrifice, the music. He omits no part of their assembly. And this was his conclusion. I hate it. I despise it. I don't like the smell of it. I will not accept it. I will not look at it. I will not listen to it. Man, that's a pretty harsh critique of people who are coming together to worship God. He says, I don't like anything you do. And I don't want to hear anything that you say. Why was God so angry with his people? What is it that could elicit such a response from God directed at his people who are offering him praise? It's a question that has to be asked. Have they neglected some important ritual? Have they added to or taken away from the holy command? In actuality, it had nothing to do with what was taking place inside their places of worship, but it had everything to do with how they lived outside of it. He was angry because they had isolated themselves from the poor. He objected to their seeking other gods. He was incensed that they abused and cheated other people, and he hated the way that they ignored his commands. And instead of their outward show of ceremony, God called the Israelites to participate in justice and righteousness. Now, justice and righteousness are topics that we don't talk about necessarily a lot in church. It's strange because in the Hebrew Bible, they're mentioned together some 98 times. Justice emphasized fairness and equity. Many times today when we think of justice, we think of someone getting what they deserved, right? Well, that's justice for them. But in the Hebrew text, the idea of justice was about, is this fair? Is this equal? Righteousness stressed kindness and generosity. And these two ideas went together that 
when you evaluated whether something was fair and equitable, you said, all right, look, is this the kindest way it can be done? Is there some way that I can help this become more just through my generosity? And together, like I mentioned, they formed a powerful Old Testament lesson and team. Some 98 times as they're mentioned in Scripture. And as people focused on justice and righteousness, they could not help but be drawn and focused on God because these are God qualities. And he expects his people to engage in the affairs of others to ensure justice and righteousness be done because that is what he is striving to do as he engages the world. And so all through the Hebrew Bible, writers talk about the inevitability of justice and righteousness and how they will triumph. And there's something important that we need to understand. And that is to block justice and righteousness is to stand in opposition to God. To stand in the way of fairness and equality, to stand in the way of kindness and generosity is to go and to thumb your nose at God himself. And say, God, we just don't care about the things that that you care about. It's something we need to pay attention to. You see, followers of God do not bring about justice or righteousness. They only choose to participate in what God is doing. You see, God is about fairness. And God is about generosity. And God is about kindness. And God is about equity. And it is my responsibility to decide whether or not I am going to be on God's side. It's not about trying to bring God to my side. But about deciding, am I going to stand where God stands? Am I going to be God's man or God's woman? Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, and Micah tell how the Judeans filled their temple with sounds of sacrifice. Sheep and holy feast, and heartfelt praise. But then they say that God wasn't listening of the oppressed underclass. Instead of hearing the woman in the temple with hands held high, he heard the widow in poverty with hands held low. 1 Samuel chapter 15, Isaiah chapter 1, Micah chapter 6, Hosea 6, Matthew 5, 1 John 3 through 4, and Amos 5 all tell us about this one fundamental biblical concern, the link that there is between the service to others and our worship. You and I are instruments of grace, and that grace must be seen outside the worship assembly, and it must be experienced among the people that we interact with each and every day. Because our praise on Sunday is rejected if we have not sought to please God on Friday. You see, if the worshipers have no concern for the issues that matter to God, then God will not hear their praise. It doesn't matter your voice. It doesn't matter your clothes. It doesn't matter how often of God, then God says, I hate the smell of what you're bringing me. Because it's self-righteousness. And I don't want anything of it. Now, I know these connections do not set well with us. Because let's be honest, we like to be told that our worship, that our worship is good. And that our worship is uplifting. We like to think of our worship as being acceptable. I've heard that prayer many times through my life. 
Lord, please find acceptable the worship that we bring to you today. And we prefer to make our own judgments about worship, about what makes it right or what makes it wrong. And sometimes we've been told that if our heart's right, our worship is right, and God will accept it. But Scripture makes it clear that the heart of worship, or at the heart of worship, our lives lived in service to the glory of God. And that's why Paul would write to Christians in Rome, and he would say, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's grace, His mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. He's saying you're an instrument of God's grace because you've experienced the grace of God. Now go and worship God accordingly by sacrificing yourself before Him. And as you continue to read through chapter 12, realizing that you are connected to those who you're with. You know, as we think about our gatherings, as we think about ourselves as a church, let's remember that praise and service have to be kept on the right side of grace. But both praise and service, they are responses, mercies of God in our life. Salvation comes through the mercy of God, not because we participate in God's crusade for righteousness or justice, but is in response to God's salvation, He expects our obedience in those matters. And He elicits and He wants our praise. But we must never think that our praise somehow speaks louder than our practice. See, I think we need to pay a little better attention to biblical teachings on ethical behavior. We're going to come together and talk about the way that we treat one another. And we're going to come and we're going to talk about the way in which we, we live our lives and the interactions that we have. And we're going to talk more about this idea of justice and righteousness. But I want you to consider a passage that maybe you haven't read in a long time. It's from Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. His commands throughout Scripture cannot be missed. They cannot be ignored. You say, well, Chris, that, that was Old Testament. And that was, that was for the Israelite people. Well, fine, if you want to make that kind of separation, let's see what you do with this one. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted and unspotted by the world. We can't erase the passages of Scripture. We cannot neglect the text that talk about the relationship that we have with one another and think that as long as we sing the right songs or read the right Bible, that somehow that makes everything right. That then we can go and spew our vitriol on social media. That we can deny meals to someone. That we can turn others away from our time together. We have to take up God's agenda for our lives. You see, God's rejection of these worship assemblies is directed at those who completely ignored God's ethical demands. He refused to listen to the worship of the people because they refused to listen to Him. And if we refuse to listen, we stand judged by these same very texts. I don't know. 
I don't know when you look at your life and when you think about who you are, if you've ever thought about yourself as, as perhaps not, maybe as not being obedient as God would call you to, if that's the right phrase to use. You say, well, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I've neglected the widow or orphan. I don't know if I have turned my back on my, on my neighbor or not. See, the message to us is that God not only listens to our praise, but man, he watches our practice. He watches our practice and he watches where we take our stands and he watches where we plant our flags and he watches what hills we decide to go and die upon. You know, the ultimate intent of Scripture is not to shame us, but to inspire us. And while an individual or spiritual community often takes specific times to focus more on the goodness and the mercy of God, Scripture informs us that Christians are to offer their life, as we've already seen in Romans chapter 12, in entirety to God. And we demonstrate our submission by serving obediently. Now clearly the service in the soup kitchen differs in a substantial way than the worship services that we have here on Sunday. But Christians seek to glorify God in both kinds of service. Theologically, a link exists between the praise that God receives from what we do and the praise that we offer Him and what we sing. We honor God by the words of our prayer and by the works of our hands. We remember Him by partaking in the Lord's Supper and in the way we remember His special people, the weak, the needy, the harassed, and the helpless. You see, you and I have been invited to participate in something that is truly out of this world. It's called the kingdom of God. It is God's justice and God's righteousness being seen in this world, right here and right now, through his instruments of grace. We have the opportunity to participate in that. So when you're home, if you're married, you worship God by serving your spouse. If you're not married, you serve your roommate, you serve your parents, you be a servant to your children, not because they have earned or deserved your service, but because Christ continually serves you. In your neighborhood, you worship God by by doing those little things. You pull up your neighbor's trash can, you take care of their yard while they're out of town. You declare that anything that's yours is theirs, your power tools, your garden hose, your sugar, your paint, your shovel, your lemonade on a hot day. God has placed you in your neighborhood. God has placed you in your condo, in your apartment building. He has placed you in your college dorm for a certain reason for this time and place. We have been placed in these residences by a loving God to be his loving representative of Christ by serving others as he served. And when you think about the places that you work and where you're going to be come tomorrow, maybe your service to God, your worship means It's all directed upward, where you go in and you put forth the best effort possible, ultimately knowing that you are working for the Lord and not for man. Christians should be the best employees on the job because we realize that all of our work is truly being done for God's glory. And how about if you are a supervisor? You've got the opportunity to serve those who are under you by treating your employees fairly by treating them well, by calling out the best of their gifts. 
The majority of us have the opportunity to to serve laterally with those that we have cubicles beside, those that we interact with on a daily basis, making our sales calls. We assist colleagues who work along beside us. We take care of our responsibilities. We pull our weight, refusing to make others carry our slack. And how about within our church family? We worship God by serving those with whom we worship. According to Paul in Romans chapter 12, each member belongs to the other. And each of us should use our gifts to serve one another. But sadly, the most selfish hour in many Christians' lives is during the weekly church assembly. Each comes wanting to be filled, but each refuses to feed the other. And what about in our nation? A lot of attention has been drawn to events on our southern border recently. And a lot of people have spent and spilled a lot of ink on their feelings about the different things that have been taking place. And I'm sure you have your own feelings as well. But does God's justice and righteousness, does it also apply to the way we, we treat those who were not born in this land? Doesn't it also reach to those all over the world so that the people of God act like God? So that people who are followers of Christ treat others with the dignity that comes from knowing Christ? Now, I'm not a politician and never claim to be one. And I don't have all the answers for all the things that are going on. But I do know that in all the pictures that you see and all the rhetoric that's shared and in all the families that have been affected, I know that each and every individual was made in the image of our Father. And because they're made in the image of my Father, I must treat them with justice and righteousness. Otherwise, the songs that I have been singing, God will not hear. Notice that some of the things that I brought up are independent of any kind of ministry that we have going on here. See, one of the byproducts of our church organization is the service is the worship of the church. So we don't wait for a trip to Jamaica to renovate a dilapidated home. And Steve Kahn has someone that he met at the hospital just a couple of weeks ago who is in need of service to her home. She is a widow and has been unable for some upkeep and he needs some individuals who are able to go and to work and help put something to back together at her home. And Steve would love to see you after service if you could help in that. And I know he's going to be reaching out to some others as well. 
And you know, we don't wait for wants in order to be the sermon to our community. We don't want to be known as a church that goes out and serves its community one time a year. And so we, we have snack packs. And so we encourage our different groups that we have here to, to focus on their own neighborhoods and focus on different things that are happening in their own lives, ways of secret service that they can be about. See, God's people don't wait for organized avenues of service. God's people are to daily participate in impromptu, individual, specific avenues of service. And when we do, we worship. And when we promote fairness, and when we promote equity, and when we are kind, and when we are generous, there's a smell that goes up to the very throne room of God that brings a smile to His face, and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, we worship in the classroom, teaching geometry to the girl that doesn't have a friend. We worship at the grocery store, purchasing food for a family of five that can't feed one. We worship in the hospital waiting room where we just our presence says, I love you and I care about you. We worship in our elderly parents' bedroom, caring for them like they once cared for us. We worship each and every day in big and small ways, even when we rise up from the dinner table and do what needs to be done. And we also worship when we go up to our brothers and sisters who are a different color from us, who speak different language from us, who are from a different land than us, and tell them of our love. You know, it was a few years back that laundry detergents, laundry detergents were all about getting your whites white and your brights bright. You remember that commercial? Get your whites white and your brights bright, and all the laundry detergent companies decided that they would promote the very, the very chemicals that they would put inside their product in order to make sure that you knew that you were getting the whitest whites and the brightest brights. And they spent a lot of money on that. And then a totally separate research was done by an anthropological group that noticed one day that when men and women took out the laundry from the dryer, they did not hold it up to see if their whites were white or if their brights were bright. Instead, they put it to their nose and sniffed. Feeling clean was more important than actually being clean. It was the smell test. Did it smell good? Now, I want you to think for a minute. What if you were the CEO of the company that got everybody's whites white and brights bright, and you did it whiter and you did it brighter than everybody, only to find out that people bought their detergent based on how it smelled? Man. I mean, you, you would be in the marketplace going, but wait, we have white whites and we have bright brights. We've passed all the tests. We can give you the data. We can show you our chemicals. We can show you we win. We are the best. And yet nobody cared because you didn't smell good. Now, can I get personal one more time? Church, this world 
This world that needs God does not care what you have been doing for the last hour and a half. And you can point to scripture as to why you were here and what you were doing and why you think it's right and why you think it's the best and why you think it honors God the most. And you can jump all up and down in the marketplace as often as you want. This world is asking the question, how do you smell? Because if you don't smell like God, They don't care what you're doing in here. And let me tell you something else. If I don't smell like God, then he doesn't care what I'm doing in here either. Because he's not going to listen to my songs. He's not going to hear my prayer. He's not going to care about the message that I speak. If I am not standing with him for justice, for righteousness, and truly being an instrument of grace. Church, you have been given an amazing opportunity. You have been given the opportunity to participate in the very work that God is doing in this world, redeeming the world from the hands of Satan. And you have the opportunity to leave this place and to go out and fill your home, your business, your school, fill your neighborhood, the community, fill this nation with the very aroma of Christ. That is what you have been given. That is the opportunity that I have as a very child of God. And then you go and do that. You go and be that person and you go and live that way. And you go and interact in lives like that, and you share that kind of grace, and then you come back next Sunday, and all of a sudden, you're not complaining about the bulletins anymore. You're not complaining about coffee. You're not worried if somebody's sitting in your seat. You don't worry about where you park. You're not worried about what I'm wearing. You're not worried about the songs that we sing, if the lights are high or if the lights are low, because you have been an instrument of grace and you realize that is all that matters. And I had to preach for a minute, I'm sorry. God not only listens to our praise, He watches our practice. And He's seen you this week. And he knows how you've treated your children. He knows how you've talked to your mom and your dad. He knows how you have interacted at work. He knows how you have been on social media. He knows how you have talked to or about people that you are a part of the family of God with. And maybe this morning you need to come before this family and you need to say, Lord, I want you to hear my prayers and my praise again. Because I know you've been watching my practice. And it's not as a follower of God. Maybe you want to, like Luke and like Austin, be baptized into Christ. You want to put on Christ and you want to fill this world with the aroma of the very Son of God. We invite you to do that this morning. We're going to sing together. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to lift up our praise to God. And our prayer is that our practice will smell sweet 
just like our praise. If you need to come, don't wait. Come please as we stand and as we sing.